0: Hi ladies, I'm Shelly Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. I love Women in the Word. I love being here with like-minded women who are all studying the Word of God. It is such a blessing to see everyone at their tables doing their Bible study, Bibles open. Thank you for being here today. Now. I wonder how many of you have had family pictures taken recently. Maybe you do it every year. Maybe you're thinking about it. It's on your calendar because Christmas is coming and those Christmas card pictures, we all begin to think, um, are we going to have a family picture for the Christmas card? You know, in family pictures, are a great way to make a family memories, aren't they? And you know, family pictures also reflect the personality of your family. Um, my family, Billy and I, went and had our pictures taken with our youngest son and his family last spring. He was going to be deployed with the military for several months, and we wanted family pictures. They live in Florida, so a water setting was appropriate. We were all dressed in our best casual walking on the beach clothes. The photographer first started out taking pictures of all of us with the water in the background. It was a great scene, and then she decided she just wanted pictures of the adults so she took a couple of pictures of my son and his wife and Billy and I and of course it was just a brief moment that my four and six-year-old grandsons were supposed to be standing over to the side Um, you can put that picture up now Um, (laughs) yes Yeah, yeah. So uh, in the twinkling of an eye, um, they were both in the water. And I don't know whether you can tell it here, but they're both soaking wet. And the the four-year-old had essentially been swimming. I mean, he just (laughs) dove uh, right in. Yeah, and what I love about this picture is I have three sons and six grandsons. So I consider myself an expert on little boys, actually, after all that. And what I love about this picture uh, is that it shows the essence of little boys. It completely shows their nature. Um, Okay, Sean, you can take it down now. But... um, Yeah, although I'd love to leave my grandchildren on the screen for the whole time. But this picture completely reflects the essence of little boys. There are three things that I know that little boys are drawn to. Dirt, fire, and water. And so if they're ever near water, they're going to be in the water. It doesn't matter if it's a puddle or a swimming pool or the beach. They're going to be in the water. And that picture reflects it. You know, today we're going to look at John's words in our Bibles. John's not talking about little boys, but he is talking about children because he is talking about what makes God's children identifiable as God's children. And John gives us what I think is a great family portrait here in these verses we're going to look at. So I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, and we are going to start looking at John's family portrait in verse 29. Let me read it. If you know That he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You know, John begins talking about God's family here by reminding us that everyone in God's family has actually had two births. We haven't just had one birth, we all actually have two because we have been born again. And it was Jesus who first talked about being born again and it was John who wrote about being born again after Jesus said these words in John three three on your verse sheet. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here in John's letters, he's writing to his readers. John validates Jesus' words about being born again. Our spiritual rebirth is real. It is real. We were all born again when we accepted Jesus as our Savior by faith through Grace, and it means that we have a new family. And the reason we have a new family is because we have a new father. All of us have a new father. We weren't born again into our original birth family, we weren't born again into some cosmic family that's out there somewhere. Instead, our rebirth, our spiritual renewal, Through faith and our Lord Jesus Christ has placed us all squarely in God's family. If we could see a visual of our new family portrait, we'd see God the Father, I think, on one side, and God the Son on the other side, and I think the Holy Spirit would be right there in the middle of all of us. Now, if you've had family pictures taken, or you look at other people's family pictures, pictures, many times you're going to see a theme or that family personality coming out in those family pictures. So when you get all those Christmas cards this year, I like to look through them and just think, oh, look at this family, look at this family. Um, You can tell a lot about family traits just from looking at their family portraits. I know one family um, that is the funnest family in the whole world, and every time they have a family picture made, they're all jumping in the air. Now my family can't jump in the air, so we don't do that, but every time the photographer snaps that button for the snapshot, All five of them have their feet off the ground. And they do that every single time. And what it says every time I look at one of their family pictures is they are so fun. They are so spontaneous. John gives us an identifiable family trait here in this very first verse. It's not jumping in the air. I think it's really much better. Our family trait that identifies us as God's family is righteousness. It is righteousness. Now, righteousness is defined as the quality of being morally right or moral goodness. It's characterized by justice, uprightness, virtue. The Greek word that's used for righteous right here in our Bibles means innocent. It means holy. It means just observing divine divine laws. God, John reminds us that our God is a righteous God. He's inherently morally good for all eternity. The scriptures proclaim God's righteousness actually over and over again. If you do a search on your computer or on your online Bible for the righteousness of God, verse after verse is going to pop up in your search. I have a couple of verses on your verse sheet. Look at Psalm 145. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. And Psalm 119, your righteousness is righteous forever. Your law is true. Our God is righteous and God's children all of us who have been born again into God's family can be recognized. We can be recognized as being part of God's family when we live a life that reflects his righteousness. Now, in light of the fact that John has been speaking um, several times here about the Antichrist and the false teachers, John knows that His readers are faced with identifying who's part of God's family and who are these false teachers and antichrists. So, what he's doing here is he's giving them in this verse a way that they can look around and know who's really part of the family. It's like when you're at the wedding and you're trying to gather up everybody's one family to have their picture made. We can gather up the family of God. When we look around and see their righteousness, we simply have to look for the family resemblance, for those who are living the truth of who God is, who are living out moral, upright, virtuous lives. My three grandsons all have... Um, children and each one of them this is kind of crazy each one of them has just one child that strongly resembles them. The rest of them resemble their beautiful mothers. Um, but each one of them has one child that strongly resembles them. And when they were babies, it was always deja vu for me. It was like looking at my own babies again. It was It was crazy and I knew without a doubt who their daddy was, I could pick them out. It was a strong family resemblance, a strong family resemblance. Our resemblance as born again believers has nothing to do with our physical appearance, but it has everything to do with how we live our lives every single day before a world that is watching us. John's point for us here in this verse is that living a righteous, upright, moral life gives evidence of our new birth. It gives evidence of our new birth. If we were in court and wanted to prove we were part of God's family, this is the evidence that we would give. Our righteous living, and it confirms our family resemblance to everyone around us. You know, we had a. A pretty stunning example of that in the news recently if you follow the news you know that there was a young man by the name of Botham Jean who was unfortunately murdered in his own apartment it was um, a, a crazy um, just terrible tragedy and it was a mistake that he was shot by a police officer in his own apartment I don't know if you follow the trial, but the news clip of this has been all over Facebook, everywhere. Botham Jean's 18-year-old brother, in a public statement in the courtroom, forgave his brother's killer. He forgave his brother's killer in this very moving statement. I'd encourage you to watch it if you haven't. You know what he did? He, gave, he reminded the whole world of the righteousness of Christ during that statement this young man practiced righteousness in a public setting um, and his family resemblance was unmistakable unmistakable as I watched him express his um, moving statement of forgiveness to this woman um, I had no doubt that he had been born into the family of God that he was going to be in the family portrait when we practice righteousness our family resemblance is evident just like it was in this young man the question we have to ask ourselves often is who do I resemble do I remind others that I'm in the family picture Botham Jean's brother I think could answer that question yes okay let's keep reading look at verse one of chapter three A couple of weeks ago, Vanita was here and she did a whole lesson on the Apostle John. And if you remember that lesson, you know that our John is called the Apostle of Love. And in the Gospel of John, if you look back and read the Gospel of John, he um, only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, John's life was forever changed By the unconditional unending, as the song says, reckless love of God. And he never wanted to be known by anything else except the disciple that was so well loved by Jesus. And he expresses the miracle of God's love one more time here in these verses in chapter three. He remains astounded by God's lavish love. Our ESV and our NIV Bibles don't actually do uh, John's words justice here because they start out by verse one with the word see. And uh, what that word really means in the original language is behold. Behold, it's an exclamation It's an exclamation. He is exclaiming the love the Father has given to us. And I think um, Behold expresses John's uh, emotion here much better than the word see. Because he is proclaiming the love of God. Because the love of God has changed his life. And it has changed everybody's life that is sitting in this room. Because of his great love for us, we're now his children. We're now God's children. We are adopted through our faith in Christ. We have all the privileges and blessings of a father who rules the universe. He created it. He sustained it. It's his world, and we're his family. We are family royalty and God's eternal kingdom simply because of his love. Because of his love, not because of anything we earned or do or deserve, If you've seen the movie, it's a great movie. It's several years old, the movie The Blind Side. I don't know whether you've seen the movie The Blind Side, but if you've seen that movie, it is an earthly version of what it means to be adopted out of depravity and poverty, just like we have been adopted out of poverty and depravity. It is the earthly version of how lavish love gives provision and safety and purpose. It actually is a true story. It's the true story of a young man by the name of Michael Orr. He was a kid that was living with nothing, absolutely nothing on the streets of Memphis and the Tui family found him. They took him into their home and their lavish love changed the course of Michael Orr's life. They formally adopted him. They helped him graduate from high school so that he could go to college On a football scholarship, he was drafted into the NFL, and Michael Orr won the Super Bowl. He has a Super Bowl ring. Lavish love changes life. That same lavish love has changed each one of our lives. We um, have the Super Bowl ring of all eternity as God's children, I believe. Now, the movie The Blind Side won an Academy Award, and it made Michael Orr's story famous. It made his story famous. But John tells us here that our story isn't famous. Our story isn't famous, and the reason is um, because the truth of us being God's children has been lost to the world. The world doesn't know it. They haven't seen it. They don't understand it. And the reason is they don't know who our God is. They don't know who our God is. They don't comprehend God, so they can't comprehend who we are. They don't want God. So they don't really want to know anything about us or our stories. I was playing a Disney game with that four-year-old that was swimming in the family picture, and one of the pieces was Buzz Lightyear, and the other game piece was Tinkerbell. he gave me a lengthy description of Buzz Lightyear as only a four-year-old can do, who he is, what he does. He, of course, demonstrated by flying around the room like Buzz Lightyear. Um, But then I asked him who Tinkerbell was, and he stopped, and he looked at me real seriously, and he said, I have no idea. (laughs) The world... The world has no idea who our father is. When we talk about being God's children, when we live our life before the world as God's children, they have that same blank look on their face. They have no idea. They have no idea. The world around us does not see our family resemblance, our blessings. They don't understand our values because they don't know our father. Now, John gives us a third truth in these um, couple of verses here as well. Even though we are God's children, fully and completely, right now, as we sit in this room, we don't fully reflect his glorious image yet. On this earth, we're like uncut gemstones. Have any of you ever seen an uncut gemstone, an uncut diamond, like when they bring out of the diamond mine, it's just a rock it's just a rock. You can't, I'm like, okay, you're sure that's a diamond. An uncut gemstone doesn't have facets with brilliance that reflect light. On this earth, that's who we are. Our glorious brilliance is hidden, and it waits transformation um, by the ultimate stone cutter. And our ultimate stone cutter is going to be Jesus himself. Our full transformation into that gemstone with facets that reflect his brilliance is going to happen when he returns for us. We shall see him in his glory and we will be like him. Look at Philippians 3.20 on your verse sheet. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even him to subject all things to himself. And 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. But I know in part, Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We have great assurance from John here in these verses that Christ will certainly appear. Notice he says in in verse 3, when, not if, his appearance is guaranteed to us. And when he does appear, we're going to be like him. We are God's children now, praise God. And one day we're going to have the blessing of being glorious, brilliant just like our Lord Jesus and you know what happens when we hope in that prospect when we hope in the prospect of seeing and knowing our Lord Jesus fully it has a purifying effect on us right now because when we hope in our future when we hope of being that perfect gemstone with all of those facets we make changes in our life now We make changes in our life now. We have a tug on our heart and a growing passion to become like our Lord Jesus now. It certainly had that effect on the apostle Paul. He had a tug to be just like Jesus and he worked on that every single day. Look at Philippians 3.12 on your verse sheet. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. and Titus 2, Paul says this, "'For the grace of God has appeared, "'bringing salvation for all people, "'training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, "'and to live self-controlled, upright, "'and godly lives in the present age, "'waiting for our blessed hope, "'the appearing of the glory of our great God "'and Savior, Jesus Christ.'" Jesus has made us his own. Jesus is coming back for us. And our obedience to him, this side of heaven, gradually conforms us to his image, even while we wait. So as God's own children, ladies, just like John, just like uh, the Apostle Paul, the lavish love of God should always be on our hearts and minds. It should be something that awes us. It should be something that we think about, even on our worst days, we can consider the fact that we have the lavish love of God in our hearts and minds and we should rejoice over it. We need to rejoice over it even in our worst days and every day the lavish love of God should be the opportunity to guide us, influence our choices to transform our lives now even while we simply wait for the stone cutter to come and transform us into the image of our Lord Jesus. We have a few more verses to read. Look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either known him, has either seen him or known him. You know, every family has a unique set of values. They have a unique set of values. Even if they don't write them down, they express them in a variety of ways as they go about their lives. They have core values that shape their choices in life. And when we value something as a family, we model it, we teach it to our children so that it might become their values as well. You know, some fa- families, if you look around, you can kind of spot this and point it out. Some that families value service. And you see them take on projects and go on mission trips and do ministries that allow them to pass on that value of service to their children some families focus on education you see them always involved with their kiddos and learning pursuits and you know there's a new one that I've I've just noticed pop up lately in our culture is the family value of multiculturalism where families will move to different places in the world so their kiddos will learn different languages and understand different places in the world Well, as God's family, we have values as well. We have values as well. And John begins to share these family values here starting in verse 6. And he starts sharing um, our first family value. And our family value is that our family takes sin seriously. We take sin seriously, and John begins sharing that by defining sin. Sin is lawlessness. Um, The word for lawlessness translated here means transgression, unrighteousness, um, iniquity. He shares that blunt definition because he wants to make sure that those who make a practice of sinning understand exactly what they are doing. If you make a practice of sinning, what you're doing is transgressing God's laws. You're trampling on God's laws. You're rebelling against God. But the good news for our family is that one of our family members has rescued us from sin, hasn't he? Our Lord Jesus Christ has rescued us from sin. And he has done the work of conquering sin for anyone and everyone that is part of our family. It's the reason he came to earth. It's the reason he died. And Jesus himself is without sin. So when we live in God's family, next to God and next to the sinless Lord Jesus Christ, when we abide with God the Father and God the Son, um, we can live a life that experiences freedom from sin. And conversely, John says here in these verses that the opposite is true. Everyone who lives a life of sin struggles with their relationship with God. Now, um, John's statements in verse 6 have been debated by theologians for centuries as to their exact and precise meaning. He can't be saying in verse 6 that those of us who are part of God's family, who know him and abide with him, never sin. Because other parts of scripture bear witness to the fact that even as believers we still battle our sin nature look at what paul says in romans 7 this is paul speaking now if i do not want if i do what i do not want it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells with me paul's obviously confessing he has sin Um, the other thing that john is not saying here is that People that do have sin in their life cannot come to know God or don't know God. What we want to focus here on verse 6 is not who's sinning and who's not sinning. What we want to focus on verse 6 and what John's point is, I believe, is about our relationship with God and the effect that has on how we live our life. What John does seem to be saying is that a close and intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Son, who are both sinless and holy, when we have that close and intimate relationship with them, we discover a freedom from sin in our lives. As God's children, if we are in intimate fellowship with him, when we're close to him in our walk, abiding with him, walking in step with his spirit, we're not resisting his laws, are we? We are not rebelling in his authority over us. We're not courting sin. In fact, most of the time when we're walking in that close and intimate fellowship with God, we're not even dipping our toe into sin to feel, see how it feels. Um, but according to John, the opposite is true. When we're not walking closely with God the Father, um, we do fall into rebellion, don't we? we do begin to resist his authority in our life. And we're drawn frequently and quickly into sin. I've, I've thought as I studied this um, and grappled with how to explain it is I think a toddler is a perfect example here because I see on Sunday mornings, I'm at the welcome desk here at Christ Chapel and I see all the families come in. And so almost every Sunday, I see... Um, A little guy or girl, they come in and mom or dad is trying to help them as they navigate across the great room. And they resist. They don't want mom or dad anywhere around them. They won't hold their hand. And they start out running across the great room. And what what happens? They fall. Immediately, they fall down. And then they jump up and they take three more steps and they fall down. and And eventually, mom or dad comes right up next to them grabs their little arm puts them right next to them and they walk off never falling again never falling again I think that's a great example of when we are willing to take God's hand and abide closely with him we don't fall into sin we don't fall down we have his uh, sinless nature close to us and it keeps us from falling into sin as well our family takes sin seriously and when we walk in close fellowship with God we experience freedom from the pull and enticement of sin God holds us up and gives us his sinless nature to walk in okay let's read a little bit more look at verse 7 here with me little children Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know, John has been talking throughout his uh, letter about the false teachers and the Antichrist. And what he's doing right here is addressing a confusion that has arisen Um, concerning wrong teaching about sin and righteousness apparently what must be happening is that the false teachers are the antichrists are living a life of sin they're enticing others in the church um, to live a life of sin but they're calling it righteousness they're proclaiming it to be something um, something else but john spells out the truth here for all of us and for the people that uh, are his readers here, righteous living is the measure of righteousness. It doesn't matter what we say about our lives if we're living something else. Um, Our actions always speak louder than our words, uh, don't they? If we see someone living in sin, it doesn't matter that they call it righteousness or they say that it's right. Their actions speak louder than their words. And our family resemblance is always going to shine through our words. Those who are making a practice of sin, who are living life, embracing sin, or even dabbling sin, John says by their conduct, they are taking part in the schemes of the devil. They're taking part in the schemes of the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was studying this, I had to admit to myself that when I have the bad judgment, when I have the bad judgment to fall into sin, to commit a sin, any, any sin, whether it's um, being judgmental about someone else or I'm not being a grace giver, I'm speaking harshly, and sadly, I could make a long list of things that I struggle with. But when I let myself struggle, stumble into sin, I don't stop and say to myself, um, I'm taking part in the schemes of the devil. I, uh, I generally am able to sugarcoat it to myself. Of course, I'm not able to sugarcoat it to God, but I don't say I'm taking part in schemes of the devil. But John is saying it for me right here. I don't have to say it because John is saying it. Sin originated with the evil one. One theologian I read put it bluntly. He said to take part in sin at all is to take part in Satan's activities. Wow, that, that makes it pretty serious, doesn't it? Um, John's reminder here is that Satan is only about sin. He's only about rebelling against God. That's been his goal and purpose from the beginning. Look what Jesus says in John 8:44, 44, and it was John that recorded it on your verse sheet. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the source and spiritual father of all sin no matter how much I sugarcoat it to myself and it's sobering to think that I am participating um, and even the smallest sin means i am colluding with the devil fortunately for us that was jesus's redemptive work on the cross he, his redemptive work on the cross was to destroy the work of the devil to destroy the power of sin in all of our lives in satan we see a destroyer he's a destroyer of the truth in our lives he's a destroyer of our character of honor of innocence. He's a destroyer of lives. In Jesus, who's our family member, who's the one that has ushered us into God's family, we see a savior, a savior of truth and character and innocence and honor and lives. John sees clearly that false teachers are trying to deceive God's children into mistaking sin for righteousness His lesson to us is as God's children, we have got to be discerning. We've got to be discerning, not deceived when it comes to the world around us. Sin is never righteousness. No matter who tells us it is, sin is never righteousness. Okay, look at verse 9 with me. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So our spiritual heritage comes into view here and John's words in verse 9 have also had theologians uh, debating about this for years. There are actually books written on this one verse. So does he mean Christians never habitually sin? they don't sin over and over again maybe they sin every now and then but they don't make a habit of sinning that's actually not what the original language has to say here the original language here makes this an absolute statement which is what is confusing about it or is John saying that born again believers never sin at all never sin at all Um, John has already answered that question, hasn't he? If you think back to chapter 1, when we were studying chapter 1 together, in verse 8 of chapter 1, John answered this question because he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. So he can't be saying here that born-again believers never have sin. The way we get insight into this difficult verse is by looking at his words at the beginning of verse 9. So look back at the beginning of verse 9. He says, no one born of God. Um, All of us who are part of God's family, um, God's children... We've experienced two births in our lives. We've already talked about this just a little bit. The first one was our physical birth into our biological families, which gave rise to our flesh and our sin nature that we received from our earthly parents. Our second birth was our spiritual birth, where we, forgive the, where we experience the forgiveness of sin through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We became the sinless children of a sinless parent. So what we have now is our regenerated sinless self that dwells with our unregenerated uh, sinful self. We have two births in our lives, and we have two natures in our life. Dr. Thomas Constable of Dallas Theological Seminary explains this way better than I could. So I'm going to read you what Dr. Constable said. He says, If we were able to abide in Christ without an interruption, we would never sin. The sinless nature of Christ controls the abiding Christian, whereas the sinful human nature controls the non-abiding Christian. And the Apostle Paul actually says the same thing in Romans six sixteen. Look on your verse sheet. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So as believers, we all have a regenerate self that is sinless which is John's point here in verse 9. Our second birth to the family of God allows us to partake of God's sinless nature through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. Look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John's truth is that our new selves can abide in the sinless nature of Christ Now, That lives in each one of us. And when we do abide in the sinless nature of Christ, we experience freedom from sin. And where we abide in our lives, ladies, is up to us. We can abide in that sinless, regenerate nature or we can abide in our sin nature that still exists. Okay, let's finish up with this very last verse. Look at verse 10. By this is it evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, so in the age of identity politics, uh, John would fit right in here because he concludes his discussion by identifying two groups, the children of God and the children of the devil these two opposing families are easily distinguishable from one one another all we have to do is look back at these last 11 verses he has laid out for us the family values that distinguish us the family resemblance that distinguishes us the blessings in the future that distinguish us the children of god reveal their relationship to god the father and god the son through their righteousness their moral upright choices And when the children of God sin, and they will, it doesn't negate their relationship with God the Father, but it conceals it. It conceals it. Our sin conceals our family resemblance. For the children of the devil, good behavior can, for a moment, conceal their relationship with the evil one, but it doesn't negate it, does it? Good behavior does not negate... um, their relationship with evil they are still walking in darkness they're still rebelling against god despite their good behavior they're still living a life apart from god it manifests their true uh, relationship with the enemy so john lays out here two families two opposing ways of life one manifesting god and one manifesting satan Now I think it's only fitting that the apostle of love's very last words in this section of his letter concerns the moral test of love. He finishes by talking about love. Um, That's his final thought. Anyone showing up for God's family portrait is going to come dressed in righteous moral behavior and over all that is going to be this beautiful incredible cloak of love for everyone around you. For John love is always going to be the true test for the children of god the true test for the children of god and it was jesus himself that first said that to john look at john 13:34 on your verse sheet a new commandment i give you that you love one another just as i have loved you you are also to love one another By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our final thought today as we think back on God's family and being God's children is that this is our family. This is who we are. This is our resemblance. These are our blessings and our futures. Our family values um, should remind us that we are serious about sin When we abide in close fellowship with God, ladies, uh, we have freedom from sin. Um, We have to be discerning, not deceived, when it comes to sin. And above all else, John tells us, we have got to love everyone around us. These are the family values that God's children need to know. They need to embrace. They need to live it out every day. Because when we do that, our family picture... Shows how much we all resemble our Father. Pray with me. Father, uh, what can we say? Your great love for us has um, called us all into your family. It's a blessing. It's a blessing that we are really even unable to express. We're just grateful for it. I thank you for these sisters in Christ that are here today that live out your righteousness so that the world sees their family resemblance. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word that reminds us um, that sin can never be called righteousness. And Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who has died for our sin that we might be called your children. I pray this in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, amen.